the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Chapter 3. I don't know why anybody would ever want to miss a Wednesday night. much less a Sunday. Stuff happens, I know. All right. Ephesians 3, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and ye being rooted and grounded in love. Say rooted. Rooted. What's the name of our series? Rooted, oh, that's good. We're in a new series entitled Rooted. The first message was laying a foundation that, you know, this is the a rock on which we stand. There's no other foundation. It was talking about, man, we can't make this stuff up. We got, we got to live by the Word of God and go by what He tells us and stay on that foundation. Then last week we talked about how we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So those were two really foundational things you need to be rooted in. Know what you believe. Know how to be a believer. And I thought we might have got it out of order because this week we're going to talk, tonight's message is uh, is called Rooting for Love. (laughs) Rooting for Love. So this is the third message. And we're going to talk, obviously, about love. I thought, well, maybe we need to talk about love first. But God showed me that, no, we've got to have a foundation. We've got to know who we love. We've we got to be saved so we have the love. And then let's talk about what we do with this love, this wonderful love that we have. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love. You may be rooting for love like me. How many is rooting for love to win out? Tired of seeing darkness overcome in this, in this nation we live. In verse 18, it says that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So that now you're saved by grace, you want all of God that you can get. And the way you get that is you begin to comprehend the breadth, the width, the depth, and the height, and be grounded and rooted in the love of God. So, as a pastor, I get to minister to a lot of people, you know, and, and sometimes some, some rough people and stuff, and, but, but God has given me a heart to, you know, to see people in their situation and, and believe the best of them. And so I hadn't run across really anybody that, I said, no, there's no chance for them. But there was this one guy that if he were to walk through those doors right now, I'd say, I don't know, that just might be a waste of time. I'm talking about the 21-year-old guy, Sheffield. 
when I was 21 years old. I mean, I was working at FedEx at the time, and I was the, he- I was the champion of heathens. I, I, you know, I had this spicy vocabulary, and I was on the hunt for women at, at breakneck speed. You know, I was a womanizer. I was a lot of things. And if you, you would have talked to me back then, you'd say, there ain't no chance for that boy. I, we can pray, but I think we'll just be wasting our breath. <laughs> of course, we know better than that. But when I worked at FedEx, there was this older guy. He was probably 10 years older. I was, he's probably in his early 30s. I was about 21, and he was on my team. And uh, he was a preacher. His name, we called him Slick Rick. His real name was Rick, but we called him Slick Rick. Not that Slick Rick. <laughs> he wasn't near as handsome as that Slick Rick. In fact, this Slick Rick, he was, I hope he don't hear this tape, but he was a little funny-looking fella. He probably no more than yay tall, and he was probably big around as he, as he is tall. And, but he was just a funny, likable guy. And he was a preacher. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant. I had no respect for anything to do with the gospel or preachers or anything. So I was myself around him, believe me. He wasn't holding me back a lick. But you know what he did? He would go out to eat with me after work. He would minister. To, and when I was doing all my cussing and womanizing and all these things, he'd just shake his head. He just had such a great personality. He'd laugh at me, but then he would, he would not join in. I, I didn't notice that until after a while. I realized he never cussed. He never joined in when I was talking bad about my coworkers or anything. He was always, and then he would begin to, to minister to me. I didn't know what that was at the time. I just thought, why is he always talking about this Jesus, you know? But he would talk about Jesus all the time. And he was ministering to me, and he treated me like a good friend. And I know now, looking back, I was like, he had no, he's 10 years older than me. He, he's a preacher. He had no reason to be hanging out with me. I didn't realize it, but he was ministering to me. <laughs> And now, you know, I look back and I say, thank you, Slick Rick. I may not know the exact uh, difference he made in my heart, but I believe it. he made a difference because he loved me with the love of Jesus. And you know, Jesus' love is meant to put in action. How many agree with that? Jesus, when you look at the Bible, you just don't see him, you know, like around my house, if one of my kids leaves the room, they say, love you, be back in a minute. And they go in the kitchen and get them something and come back, you know. If they leave the house, they got to see, I'll see you later, love you. It's like love you behind every sentence. I like it like that because I'm a touchy-feely kind of guy. I'm hugging all the time on my kids and loving. And, and we say I love you just in case, you know, we were to get electrocuted when we went to the refrigerator or something. I, <laughs> we just got to say it all the time, you know. But Jesus, you don't see it in the Scriptures. He's not always telling, I love you every time he gets it. You just don't see him. He's not, and he's not really touchy-feely kind of guy. You know, you see him with John laying his head on his breast, and there's some occasions he's not against it or anything, but you just don't see that's the way he demonstrates love. He's more of a doer. He's clearly without hesitation. He's a man of application. His workstation was a love demonstration without limitation. <laughs> His celebration was a combination of our affirmation and application. I'm sorry. 
Angie's not here to stop me tonight, so I thought... <laughs> it's just an exploitation of the acceleration of the corroboration of my imagination and sophistication. <laughs> that, and I found this new rhyming app on Google, so that's... <clears throat> I just <laughs> had to throw something in there, you know, to lighten the mood. But I, what I'm trying to say is, if Jesus saw somebody in need... He didn't say, be warm and be fed, I'll be praying for you. He was a need meter. He was was looking for needs. He was on the search for people who needed to be healed, to be delivered, to be saved. He was trying to find somebody to put his love into action all the time. I think he had found something that many Christians hadn't found yet. Mark 10, 45 says, For the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to think about that. Jesus was God in the flesh. God came off the throne of heaven down here to serve us. Well, that doesn't sound anything like the kings are supposed to be. The kings are supposed to come down here and be served. But not our king. He's a little different. A guy named Thomas A. Kempis says, whoever loves much, does much. That's kind of a twist that sounds like on the Scripture that says, you know, whoever's been forgiven much, loves much. But he's adding to it, whoever loves much, does much. It would only figure, you know, if you got it in you, to get it out of you. And Jesus did. He tried to meet our needs in every way that he could. He wanted his love to flow at all times. He's got so much of it. He, you can't, it's, de- it's stirring up deep, deep waters. It's stirring up deep, deep wells of his love. You can't, get to, you can't fathom the depths of his love for us. And so he would try to meet our physical needs, our bodily needs. When he would see a group of people, you know, out there in the wilderness, and they ain't got no place to go. The McDonald's was closed for the night down, down the street, you know. He's like, well, Take the happy meal you got and let's bless it and let's feed the people. He would, he would feed the people. He would heal the people. That's their physical needs, right? He was going around. He said many times he healed every one of them because he cared and he could and his love is powerful. He cared for their emotional needs. We see him listening to people. That's a lesson. When somebody is down or something, maybe we don't need to try to fix it. Sometimes maybe we just need to listen and be an ear for somebody to to get their frustrations out. He would share meals with folks, fellowship. He would encourage people, laugh with them, spread joy to their hearts. Jesus was a, a, a good guy to hang out with. There's nowhere in the scriptures that says he was born and dull and had no personality. In fact, it does say that he was nothing special to look at. Blasphemy. No, it's what it says it in, in Isaiah, I think it says that he, he was nothing special to look at. There was no reason for people to hang around him except for the love emulating from him, the, his personality, who he was. He spread joy. He gave us peace and hope. He was was a spreader of hope. And he calmed the seas for us. 
when life was, and he's still doing the same thing today. Isn't he, Brother Wesley? He's calming the seas. When things all around look bad and it looks like you're going under, he's like, dude, if I only give you the word, you can be walking on that water. You can be surfing them waves without a surfboard. I will, and if you do go under, I got you. I'm right there. I got you. <laughs> no big deal. He understood you got to open somebody's heart before you can get into it. Now, a lot of times, with time being short and you don't get, get an opportunity to get to know people or whatever, you got to go ahead and, and share what you got, throw it all out on the table, and if you're die today, you know where you'd go and stuff, and there's a place for that ministry, but there's also a place to get to know somebody, to show them you care, because they don't care to know what you know until they know that you care, right? You, there's a time to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and God will show you which time it is. But we should always be loving, and every approach should be made from a place where we try to open up somebody's heart to receive God's love. We don't want to close them off. Man, we come with the wrong attitude or something, but they're like, they, walls come up to these days. People have issues with the way the church has been in America. And we have to be extra sensitive to know what the Holy Spirit and how he's helping us get into somebody's heart. And not only did he meet our physical needs and our emotional needs, of course he met our spiritual needs. I mean, come on. You kidding? He came to make us brand new. He gave us brand new spirits. So obviously, he came to get in our hearts literally. So that's why he was opening them up to make a place for him to come into. That was the whole reason he came, so that he could get in there with us. Now, it wasn't just for the rich folk. It wasn't for this class of people. It wasn't just for the Jews. Jesus did not play that uh, silly social status thing that man has made up. He's not politically correct. He doesn't... He doesn't live according to our moral standards. and under, He didn't play any of our games and put people in divisions and groups, and he didn't see them all a certain way. We've talked about that a lot lately. You know, one time he was walking down the street with this entourage that he didn't necessarily, <laughs> you know, mean for it to be an entourage, but he's got thousands of people following him al along, and there's this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, old blind Bart, sitting on the side of the road, probably in a ditch where somebody left him, probably hadn't showered in months. Well, I don't even know if they had showers. He probably hadn't even sponge bath in, in a month. And he's sitting there, he's probably got a long beard and hair growing off his end of his nose. And out of, Have you ever seen people that hadn't shaved and homeless and been for a while, you know? He's sitting there, he's probably got critters growing in there, he's got them named. And he hears that Jesus is coming down the road, and he's hollering out, Son of David, have mercy on me, because nobody else will. Have mercy on me. He's crying out like he means it. And what are all the people saying? Dude, Bart, be quiet, man. 
Jesus is coming by. This man's important. He's got an entourage. You hush, you're messing things up. And they're making way for Jesus. This dude, man, he's important. He's got friends. He's got a lot of likes. When he posts something, it'll go viral. You don't, you don't even got a flip phone, dude. Hush. But Jesus heard him calling. What can I do for you, Bart? He cared about somebody nobody else cared about. He, he cared about wee little Zacchaeus up in the tree. Now, nobody cared about Zacchaeus, to be honest. You know what Zacchaeus was? He was an IRS agent. He was a tax collector. And he was, they were hated worse back then than they are today, believe it or not. Because they were Jews, typically, that had sold out to the Roman occupation and were working for the Romans and extorting money from their own Jewish counterparts, and they were stealing from them in the process and putting some in their own pocket. In fact, it go, later on in the story, you find out that he had been robbing his fellow Jews. Sort of like in the Holocaust, when in the concentration camps, they, they would use some of the Jews as policemen in the concentration camps to, to lead their own people to the gas chambers. Hated. We call him we little Zacchaeus and we sing songs about him, but nobody liked Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't even like Zacchaeus. But Jesus saw him in the tree. Goes over to Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat at your house tonight. People are like, what? No way. I would not go, I wouldn't get near his house. But Jesus did. He was the, also the first to take notice. In 38 years, he was the first to take notice of a lame man lying by the pool that beseeth. I, I don't know if I said that right. That's the only time I'm going to it. This guy had been lame for 38 years. He's laid by the pool every day. And there was a bunch of people laid by the pool. Why did Jesus pick this guy out? I don't know. But Jesus saw him. For a long time, it touched my heart. I don't know, I, I was calling the Lord, the Lord who sees me. For a long time when I would address him in my prayers. Because it just touched me that he sees me out of 7 billion people on the world, in the world. But this guy could literally say, he saw me out of all the people around the pool. I've been here for 38 years, nobody's ever saw me. He told Jesus, he said, nobody puts me in the water when it moves so I can't get healed. I have nobody to help me in the water. They thought they had a, a superstition that if the water moved and angels was moving it and they could get in and get healed. Jesus said, I'll move your water. Get up off your mat and walk. Jesus sees people. He was the only one to stand up for the woman caught in an act of adultery. And I'm talking about he stood up against the the governors and the, I mean, it'd be like, I don't even know who the mayor of Memphis is now. It ain't A.C. Wharton or Willie Harrington. It's somebody, something Strickland. Strickland coming in. He's got A.C. and Willie beside him and all the uh, f former mayors. And he's got some of the Grizzlies with him. I don't know. He's got the head people 
come walking up and throw this woman down. She was caught in the act. And man, it would have been so easy to say, you guys, I'm with you on this. Give me a stone because I, I would rather just fit in with these big heavy hitters, you know, than go against them. But Jesus was the only one that stood up for the woman caught in the act of adultery. He cared about people on his way to caring about people. He was going to save the one little girl when somebody in the crowd touched him. He said, who touched me? Peter said, you're in the middle of a crowd, Jesus. What do you mean, who touched you? The press? Everybody's touching us. But Jesus said, no, somebody touched me with intent to pull on my healing virtue. Somebody touched me. Somebody is crying out for me. And the woman was there. She said, it, it was me. I've been 12 years with this issue that I can't resolve. And I knew if I could just but touch the hem of your robe that you would dry this, this blood that's flowing from me, this issue of blood that I've had. It's cost me everything. And I know I'm not supposed to even be in public bleeding. I know it's against Jewish customs and laws and all these things, but I've got nowhere else to go, Jesus. He says, woman, your faith has healed you. You are not just a face in a crowd to Jesus. Jesus knows every face in that crowd. He knows the hairs on everybody's head in that crowd. You are never just a number. You are special to the Lord Jesus Christ. He told the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I know I tell these stories all the time, but this is what Jesus preached, and this is what I'm going to preach. He told the, 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 the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, you know, the priest walked by. The temple servant, he looked and walked by. But then a despised Samaritan, meaning these two groups, the Jews and the Samaritans, hated one another. And he was the one that reached down. He was the one that bandaged his wound, put him on his own donkey. He walked while the, the Jew rode on his donkey to the next town. And, and he paid for him to stay at the inn and told him he'd pay him more to take care of him. Came out of his own pocket. Deviated from his own plans. Whatever he was going to, whatever conference he was headed to, or whatever he was going, he was probably tired trying to get home just like you are when you see somebody on the side of the road with a flat. He had things, to, places to be, I know. I've been on the way to church before, and I'm preaching. And I see somebody, I say, well, I'd love to stop and help that lady, but i got to be at church, you know. And there's been times, sad to say, I be warm and be fed. I drive by, Lord, please send somebody to help. I got too much stuff to do. But sometimes, I'll be honest, the love of God is welled up in my heart, and I don't care. I don't care. I'm stopping. I'm going to help. I'll, God will make a way. But what was Jesus' point of the whole parable? He was saying, you know what? You can be that neighbor. He said, who's the neighbor in this story? Well, even the Jews, they didn't want to say it. Man, it probably tasted like bile coming out of their mouth. <laughs> the, the, the Samaritan, he was the one that was a neighbor. Well, he said, go and do likewise. If a Samaritan can be good to you, you can be good to anybody. 
You can be the neighbor. We can all be one another's neighbor. It didn't matter how tired Jesus was. There were times when he was pressed by the crowd. He was just wore out. His own disciples were worried about him. He's just pressing too hard. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. But when he saw a need, love didn't, wasn't, his love wasn't governed by how he felt at the moment, which is sad to say mine is a lot of times. Well, you know, my leg's been hurting lately. I'm just going to drive on by or, you know, I can't go over there because of this or I don't feel, well, I, I ain't had no sleep. You know, I'm worn out. I'm tired. Y'all don't know what I do, this, this. And we justify every inaction that we take and every opportunity we have to love that passes us by. It's because it's how we felt. But it, Jesus didn't go by how he felt. It was who he was. He is love. And so love always responds like love does. <laughs> It was a predetermined decision that he had made. This is who I am. This is what I do. And we would do well if we want to imitate Jesus. We want to be little Christ, Christians, to go ahead and make up our mind. I don't care what my flesh says. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm a lover. I'm going to let the love of Jesus flow through me, and I'm going to trust him with the results. Now, do I do this? Am I, am I preaching to myself? Oh, yeah, real good. Real good. I'm preaching to myself real hard. But it's the life worth living. You say, I, I can't love like that, Pastor. Why not? The love of God was shed abroad in your heart, too. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. That same power that raised him from the dead is in you, and the same love that he is is in you. His spirit is in you. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, the Apostle Paul says, the purpose of my instruction, Timothy, is that all believers, and that would be us, would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience and genuine faith. That's what he wants. It's what the Apostle Paul said, man, I'd like to see everybody operating in this love. In John 15, verse 9, the Lord himself says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things now so that you will be filled with, with my joy. Is your joy running low? Well, there's a big key. Are you, are you doing his commandments and remaining in his love? And, and what, 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 what's his commandment? I, what, what? Not to commit adultery? No, it says, I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. And yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. Now, we've been talking about the way he loved. You want joy to overflow? Love each other the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. Well, I'm not going to die for anybody. 
I'm not prepared for that, Pastor. I'm not asking you to, and I don't think Jesus is asking. He might be asking you to be willing to, but I really don't think it's come to that at this point, hopefully. But what I do think he is asking you is when he means lay down his life, maybe he doesn't mean all the way, but maybe he means 15 minutes here or there when he needs you, or maybe $15 here or there when he needs you. That's laying down your life, things that are yours, that you give of yourself for your friends. There's no greater love than you put down self. You see, love is a departure from self. That's why it's so hard. If you're putting self first, you can't love. Because self is just going to be selfish. You've got to put down self to enter into love. Love is outside of self. Love isn't effortless, that's for sure. It's not easy. Because it ain't about us. Oh, man, come on, pastor. That's what I majored on in college. Me? I know. Mama told me it was all about me. I know she did. I know she did. But the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2.4, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. There's other people. Dude, that goes against everything I believe in. I know that's the way we were taught here in America, that it's all about you. Have it your way. I just did it my way. Well, where'd that get Elvis? You know, I don't know. He did it his way, too. <laughs> Boy, I'm preaching hard at myself. Don't anybody... Don't let anybody give the impression that I've got this figured out. When I, I got married to my wife, Angie, it had nothing, I'm looking back, it had nothing to do with this kind of love. Nothing. nothing. It is only by the grace of God that we made it through until I got born again and began to change. Only, in fact, we were, this is because of this church where, we, where I got saved and we began to turn that, thing, that ship around because to me, all it was was she was pretty. She was good looking. I liked the shape of her. I liked everything about her. I liked everything that she potentially offered me because <laughs> it was all about what she could do for me. I, boy, I wish I'd have had some marriage counseling going into that. And, no, boy, I, I bet she wishes I would have had some marriage counseling. <laughs> Because I was driving her nuts. It wasn't until I got born again and the love of God was shed abroad in my heart that I began to rethink some of these things. Is everything about this marriage supposed to be what I can get out of it? And if she don't treat me right, I'll find somebody else kind of deal. That's the way the world thinks. That's why the divorce rate is so high. It's all, all about when you don't make me happy no more, I'll find somebody else who does. Then after about seven or eight wives, you know, you're saying, maybe I'm the problem. I don't know. Your expectations going in are, are so backwards. Well, I could, I could preach a, me a message on marriage right now. I could just start going through the vows and remind you what, what you, you vowed before God. But I remember telling the preacher, when I got married, I said, just keep all that preaching part quick because 
I'm ready to get to the honeymoon, you know. <laughs> I did, I told him. He was taking too long in the rehearsal thing where the people were coming down the aisles, you know. I, was, I just took over. I was like, dude, let me, let me tell you, this is going to take forever. All right, you girls, y'all come on down when the music plays, the boys. Y'all, I'm a take charge kind of guy, especially back then. Y'all don't know how much I have mellowed out in my old age. But I, but I grew up, I'm just going to tell them myself, I'm, I'm kind of needy when it comes to love. You know, I'm a touchy, I am a touchy-feely guy. I got to know that you're, you're watching me because, like, everything I do is to impress Angie, you know. And are you, you see that I did that? And, 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 and I'm pulling. I was sucking the life out of Angie. She couldn't be my source, but I thought she was. She was my source of happiness until I met Jesus. And I was sucking the life out of her. I was needy. Everything about what about me? What about me? And, and if you'd have asked me, man, I was, woo, I was, I was loving her good. Because I was kissing and hugging on her all the time and showing affection. But those are the things I wanted to do. She was like, can we not do this in public, you know? I didn't learn until later that that wasn't Angie's love language. Y'all ever read that book, Five Love Languages? Maybe I already need to preach on it or something. But everybody has different ways that they receive love. Some, some people, through touching and stuff, and that's, that shows signs of affection to them, and they, they receive it. Well, Angie's love language is the dishes. <laughs> I didn't know. I was trying to kiss her. Show her I love her. She's one of the time, you know, 10 years in, I did the dishes one day, and it was like, you love me. <laughs> so every couple of years, I do the dishes. <laughs> I don't know if I love her that much. I am just kidding. I will do the laundry this week. I'll pay somebody to do it. All right. <laughs> Jesus told a story. He tells it several versions in different books of the Bible, but the one I'm thinking of right now is he gave talents to some people. He gave one guy five talents. I guess that's money or something. Or you could see it as like he gave you talents and abilities. He gave guy something. And then he gave another guy three talents and another guy one talent. He said, I'll be back and we'll settle accounts when I come back. Well, he came back and the guy he gave five talents to, he said, he said look, I invested and here's ten talents back. I've doubled. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in to my joy. Same thing happened with the guy with three. He doubled it. Come on in. And then the one guy, he come back with his one talent. He said, I knew you was a hard man. And so I didn't want to lose what you gave me. So I, I buried it in the ground so I wouldn't lose it. And here it is back. You know that guy? He had the love that God had put in his heart. And he thought, man, it's just too hard. This love that God's given me, it's hard. 
to give out. It means I got to do stuff I don't want to do, that self don't want to do. I have to think about others before myself. So I don't know about this. And the, besides, the few times I've tried that, they don't appreciate me. I gave to that, that man that needed something, and he just took it and went and bought beer. Them preachers are all stealing your money anyhow. I, I, you can't trust nobody with nothing. Every time I try to do something good, you know, nobody appreciates me. I fell in love with that girl, and she broke my heart. So I just got a little box, and I put my heart in it, and I closed it up, and I buried it. Every now and then, I'd show somebody, that, look, uh, there's my heart, but don't, don't touch it. And I wouldn't let anybody have any of my heart. I I'm just guarding it because I know he's a hard man. I'm just going to make sure he gets his back. I'm not venturing out because love can break your heart. See, that's the whole wrong attitude. That's the whole wrong attitude. You're seeing life wrong. If you get your heart broken because you give it out, so be it. No risks, no reward. That's what I was talking about Sunday. Live out there on the edge. Get you the good campsite. If the storm comes, so be it. You have to learn to find your shelter behind the arms of Jesus. In, the heart, in, the, where, in your heart where he's at, you have to learn to tuck yourself in when the hard times come. But you can't just hold on to what he's put in your heart and not give it out. He, he told that guy, take that what he's had and give it to the guy with, with ten talents. and Cast him into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know what that means. God expects a return. He's a fruit-loving God. He's giving you seeds to plant. There's so many things in today's society that we call love that are really not. There's lust, infatuation, sex, Hollyweird, Taylor Swift songs, pecan rolls. I do love pecan rolls. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love is patient and kind, and what is love not? Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Some people got a weird sense of love. It does not demand its own way. See, this is what I thought love was before I got saved. It's not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. It's not about what we can get. It's about what we can give. There was a guy, got a letter from his ex-girlfriend. The letter read something along these lines. Dear Jimmy, I have been miserable since we broke up. I've been thinking about you a lot lately. I hope you can see it in your heart to, for us to get back together because I love, love, love you. I love you, Amy. P.S. 
congratulations on winning the lottery. <laughs> that is not love. <laughs> it's not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. Look at somebody say, not love. <laughs> love cannot be forced. God never forces his love on anybody. And he never forces you to give it. It's certainly not something that should be condemning. And so many walk into our, even this church that I have seen lately that have been hurt by other churches that seek to control them and to put them in a cookie-cutter mold and make everybody the same and, and not let them be free to be who the love of God wants them to be. And I, that just weirds me out. Because I, I got saved in this church, pretty much the only church I know, and I've never felt oppressed and condemned here. Even when I, was, when I was young Christian and I was doing everything wrong, playing in the nightclubs on Saturday and playing up on the platform on Sunday, they, they urged me and they pushed me in the right direction. They encouraged me, but they never condemned me. And they let the Holy Spirit have time to deal with me. They didn't have a whole bunch of Holy Spirit police running around <laughs> on everybody's case about everything, hurting everybody's feelings about everything. Let's show that video real quick. Am I really looking at that clock right? Oh my goodness. Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love in my world? Well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like... Sabotage. It flees into the night. It, it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like, I love you no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. Oh, promise is a lot. But it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears. The pain, the loneliness. The surrender. It's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? You can't help me. Why love it all? Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust. Hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's His kind of love. 
and it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me, but because he first loved me. See what I need to skip. Okay, well, uh, I was on reading a Christian article the other day, and it was kind of had a little video in the midst of it in, in, on the internet. And uh, there was this worship leader. She must have been asked a question about worship or something. She's a famous worship leader. You'd probably recognize her if you saw her. And, and she answered a question and said, you know, sometimes when I'm up there worshiping, you know, these thoughts come to me and I, and I fight through them and, or something, you know, something along the line. Just being real, being honest. And I thought it was very tender how her heart was tender towards the Lord and everything. And then when I got through watching the video at the bottom, you know, it usually has people write in, say something, which call a blog or whatever. I begin to read it. And this is on a Christian site, so these are supposed to be Christians. And about half of them were saying, well, she don't really understand worship because worship is supposed to be this, this, and this. And somebody else is saying, and they use smoke and lights, and they, their style of music is this. And if she knew anything about worship, she, wouldn't have, she would have said this. And everybody's putting their two cents in and showing all the biblical knowledge that they think they have about worship and trying to make themselves look good on this blog at the expense of this poor woman who all she did was probably answer a, a specific question which she no way she could possibly answered all the things that they were trying to get her to answer in a minute and a half video. I don't normally respond, but I had to show them what was really up now. <laughs> but I did. I wrote back. I said, guys, this is really sad that that we're chewing each other up like this. She was just asked a specific question, I'm sure, and she just answered honestly from her heart. Why, why go into all this stuff and argue with one another on there? What makes us any different from the world? In fact, we look worse than the world when we fight amongst each other. Galatians 5.13 says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Man, nobody's got it all together. I, let me just say, you guys have been particularly gracious to me as a pastor. I came in here three years ago with no seminary training. I'm winging it every Sunday, you know, giving it my best, trying to hear from God. I don't know everything. 
But even if I make a mistake and, and somebody does have to say something to me or something, I, I, and really nobody's said anything to me, but if they would, I really respect, I respect you guys and I want to hear from you, but nobody has been rude to me. I, hear, I, I read these articles about what other pastors go through and the disrespect and, and how they try to control the pastor and all these things going on. I am so happy. You are to be so happy that we live in such a strife-free environment here at the Passion Church. That's what makes this place special. Because where there's strife and division, there's every other evil work. And we have been fortunate to pray and to, to uh, stamp out strife wherever we see little fires starting. And remember, before you let your mouth spout off, and start one of those fires. You're messing with the very culture that you love and that we, God has created here. And we want to be that haven for those people coming off the streets that's been hurt at other churches. And we're praying for those other churches that they don't behave in a manner unbecoming of the Lord. But you see why sinners were attracted to Jesus, but they didn't want anything to do with the Pharisees. They love Jesus. He opened up their hearts so he could climb in. How do we do it, Pastor? How do, how do, we, how do I love like that? Matthew 25, 35, Jesus says, For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me, there's a lot of ideas right there. In Passion Church, man, we've got these things covered. God, over the years, have opened up doors and pathways for us to express our love to this community. Just this Friday night, did you hear the announcement that our already worn-out children's staff that's understaffed and overworked, and some of them hadn't been in a service in over a month, and just got through ministering Saturday all day at the park loving on other people's children, have decided that they want to host your children so that you can go on a date night. That's love, my friend. They're not getting paid for it. That is love. Brother Tom, for probably 20 years now in a group, have been going down to the jailhouse every Sunday night. Two services every Sunday night for years and years and years. They don't get paid a penny. Sometimes you just ask yourself, am I really going behind bars on purpose? Um, my kids know that I go to jail. They tell my, my other people's parents that my dad goes to jail on Sunday nights. We go to jail on Super Bowl Sunday in the middle of the Super Bowl. How many has been to one of my Super Bowl parties and I have to get up and leave in the middle of the Super Bowl? We don't miss because we love those people. And that's not a, that's not a human kind of love that breaks down and, and doesn't work. That's the kind that works. That's a God kind of love that he put in our hearts to go to youth villages, which is all the way out in Eads, Tennessee to go to the nursing home and play music. People say, oh, you, you must not have a very good band, y'all, playing at the nursing homes. Well, if that's the way you judge things, I guess not. But we don't, 
We don't declare our worth by what kind of size crowds and what kind of people we play for. We feel privileged to be ministering to the elderly and to love on folks who really appreciate it. And like I said, we got people giving our time in the nursery, in the toddler's room, and in the children's church to love on other people's kids. Nobody gets paid around here but me, in case you didn't know. Ushering, working in the booth, giving other time, greeting, cleaning department. If I left anybody out, every time you serve somebody, every time you give of yourself, you give of your finances, those of you who are taking care of elderly parents, those of you who are taking care of hard-headed kids, those of you who are going to PTA meetings, everything that you do to better this world for somebody else, checking in on shut-ins and the lonely, reaching out every step you take beyond self. Jesus says when you do it for the least of these, you're doing it for me. Because he cares about the least of these. Slick Rick, he had no no reason to care about me he could have just said that boy's lost cause i don't like i don't like his mouth he he disgusts me i can't stand what he's doing i know better than that i've been serving the lord i'm a man i'm a holy man of god i can't be around that i need to be in this bubble but no he spent time with me outside of work loving on me John 13, 34, Jesus says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Be rooted and grounded in his love, and you'll never regret a moment of it. You will be rewarded with joy, unspeakable, full of glory. You'll live a life on the outskirts, looking over the, the beautiful places, and you'll live a, a life covered for every ounce of love that you give out. God is going to give it back to you. You cannot outgive God. If you'll be a funnel and you'll let his love pass through your heart, you will never be shy of the, the living waters of God. He will give you more than you can ever dream. Self is what's in the way. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.